screen with me and look at Matthew 15, verse 9. And Jesus says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's interesting, this is somewhat of a transitional verse. Uh, what we've been looking at on the last few weeks at about Christian liberty and the binding of the conscience, that God's word alone should bind our conscience. But it's also a passage that helps instruct us and teach us to understand how God expects us to be worshipped, that he cares about how we worship him, that it's not up to the inventions of man, but that he has given regulation to it. Chapter 22 uh, can often be a hotly debated topic in our society. When we look at the idea of, of the worship of God and how do we do it? Why, uh, why do some churches in Texas have a cowboy church? And why in California is there a surf church and a skate church and this and that? And, and who determines what? And are these acceptable unto the Lord? believe as we look at scripture we'll see that answer look at paragraph one with me in chapter two of the 22 of the confession and again we must always begin with god in all things says the light of nature shows that there is a god who has lordship and sovereignty over all is just good and does good to all and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. Notice we see the why of worship right there. That God is Lord and that he is sovereign. And while those two are, are very similar, uh, they bring about a couple different aspects. Sovereignty is his control over everything. Lordship is the, his authority over it. The, maybe the, the height of his glory and the breadth of his glory. What is he over? He is over all. Because he is Lord. He is God alone. And there is only one Lord. We are not him. He is not to be made in our own image. The, the second commandment there. And we see that he is to be worshipped. We see that throughout actually throughout nature... We see that God is to be worshipped. That's why when we find an unreached people group, what are they doing? They are worshipping something. Because in us, we know by our creation and looking at nature that there is a God. But as we've seen, the light of creation only shows us the glory of God. It does not bring salvation. It is only the special revelation, God's word. And in his word, he has given a revelation of who he is and because he is God, he does good. He is all over everything. He is good and just. He is to be, as the confession says, feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted, and served. I want to pause here for a moment. I want to jump to paragraph two. The how of worship. Religious worship, paragraph two says, is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to Him alone. Our worship is to be triune. 
we often can maybe focus more on Christ and his work because we see the manifestation of Christ. And yet, all three persons of the Godhead are worthy of our worship. Um, Francis Chan, a number of years ago, wrote a book called Forgotten God. In talking about the Holy Spirit is so often forgotten and neglected in our theology and in our understanding. Many songs are not written uh, helping to challenge us to think about the triune nature of God. Worship is to be given to him alone. Not to angels, the confession continues, or saints, or any other creatures. Think of the, the, the historical context that this was written. This is not long after the Reformation has happened, a breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, where the worship of, of saints is prevalent in every area. The, the, um, the treasury of the saints in which they have earned extra merit, and as we pray to them, we can tap into them. But yet we understand that worship is to be only given to God, not even to angels, not to saints or any other creatures. But notice how that continues. Since the fall, worship cannot be made to God without a mediator, nor in the mediation of any other but Christ alone. What a, what a great line in the sand that is drawn here, that Christ alone is the way that we're able to worship, through him alone, not through Mary, not through any other saint, not even on our own good merits can we access the Father. But Christ alone is our mediator. He is that mediator, as, as Hebrews says, of a better, the new covenant. What a great promise that is. Why do we worship? Because God is Lord and he is sovereign over all. How do we worship? We worship God alone through Christ alone. Now, let's jump back to paragraph one. Then we ask the question, what's the regulation? How are we to worship practically? Notice there's a contrast here. Um, we're kind of jumping. I think the screen is kind of, it begins with, with, but the accepted way acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures." In one sense or another, we all regulate our worship. We control it based upon two different things. One, whether we determine it based upon predetermined um, uh, feelings or convictions, or we look to God's revealed word. In all things, Scripture is to be our guide. In every area, we are to... Understand that Scripture is sufficient. Second Timothy 3, we see that all Scripture is uh, profitable for all that we need. And when we think about the regulation of worship, often we're focused upon the restriction. And, well, I can't do this or can't do that in the corporate gathering. But the historical context in which this paragraph was written is far different than ours. This is the time in the life of the church that the act of uniformity had been brought about by Charles I. 
that the church must only worship by the book of common prayer. That that's it. That that is the church down said, this is how you have to worship God. You follow this order. You do these things. On this Sunday, you worship in this order. And this Sunday, you worship in this order. Charles I is dethroned. And in a sense, Parliament in England became the ruling force in the church to say, here is how you are to worship. So the Westminster Assembly then says, no, Parliament doesn't decide, the Pope doesn't decide, the church doesn't even get to decide, but Scripture alone, God alone, is the one who regulates our worship. And instead of looking at it from a negative, what can't we do, they were saying, look at the freedom that we have. Think about where we've been in chapter 21. God alone and Scripture alone can bind our conscience. And this is the outworking of that. In our worship, it's not what man says, it's what God says that determines how we are to worship. Robert Letham, or Letham, I don't know how to pronounce his name, he he says this, speaking about the historical context, he says, in this context, the focus of the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, verse, uh, paragraph 1, is more immediately liberating than restricting. Bound in its worship to the direction of the word of God alone, the church is freed from the dictates of man, whether these are contrary to the word or simply in addition to it. And I pray that just like when we think we were looking at Christian liberty, to not be focused on the I can'ts, but to see the beauty of the I can's. And here in the worship of God, not to be looking at, well, I'm not allowed to do that, I can't do that. But to look at the beauty of what God has given us in his word. And to be happy and sufficient, or, and content with the sufficient word. There are two directions that we take here on how do we prescribe our worship. First is the normative principle and the regulative principle. The normative principle says this. Whatever isn't prohibited is acceptable. That's kind of the shortened version. If God hasn't said, thou shalt not in his word, then we are free to worship him in any other means. As long as God hasn't said, no, you can't, we have the freedom to do it. This is probably 90% of our evangelical churches today, if not a greater percentage. That it's maybe on one, maybe it doesn't go all the way to the cowboy church with the cowboy Ten Commandments that I was reading this week and I just about fell over and the church still exists and I'm thinking. um, But it may take on more subtle forms. How do we employ various art forms in the church and what's acceptable and what's not leaving it to well if God has not said no then it's acceptable on the other side is the regulative principle so instead of saying whatever isn't prohibited is acceptable it says whatever isn't commanded is prohibited again looking back at Matthew 15 verse 9 the whole context there is the worship of God Jesus says, in vain they worship me, 
teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. What is the emphasis there? That it's man's word on how God is to be worshipped. Therefore, that is what is to be binding upon us, they say. And Jesus said, no, that is wrong. John Calvin said, I am not unaware how difficult it is to persuade the world that God rejects and even abominates everything relating to his worship that is devised by human reason. And continues, but the fact is that there is nothing more perilous to our salvation than a preposterous and perverse worship of God. Again, in all things, to understand the true gospel, we must begin with God first, not ourselves. With Beginning with the worship of God, we cannot begin with ourselves and what we think and feel. We must begin with God and his character, how his word has revealed. Again, the regulative principle is to understand that if God hasn't commanded us to do something, or by uh, ordinary means, by uh, reduction from the scriptures that we should not do it. But let me put a, a clear boundary here. When we speak of the regulative principle of worship, it is about the corporate gathering of the saints. We cannot apply this to every area of life. Yes, we see principles throughout Scripture, but where we're speaking very poignantly and specific here is about when we gather as God's people. How are we to worship him? Again, if God has not commanded us, we must avoid it and stay in the areas which God has given us commands to see the beauty of which he has given us. I want to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 12, a little bit longer, but I want you to to listen to it. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, Take heed to yourself. Now notice, their land. What is this speaking of in the book of Deuteronomy? Where are they going? Back to the, they're going to the promised land. It, it's not been their land, so it's, it's in, they're coming back to, to the land. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their God, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. This is what can happen is we can say, well, this is an Old Testament passage. This is the nation Israel that is going into the land. And yes, God is specific and he's saying, hey, when you go into this land, don't adopt all the ways of the world and apply it to the worship of God and think that that's acceptable in God's sight. God is saying, be careful to observe what I've commanded you. Don't add to it or take away from it. And we can say, oh, that's good for the Old Testament, but we live in the New Testament, right? Has God changed? Has his character changed? Again, we see God himself say, I, the Lord, do not change. He was specific in how he was to be worshipped. He had revealed his desire and his ways to the people. And we, too, must follow that. 
Why? God continues to be specific. In Exodus 25, verse 40, he says something similar. He says, And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. This is speaking about the tabernacle and all the, the things. And God is saying, Be careful to follow the ways that I have commanded you. Where do we see this that God reveals and regulates his worship? It's somewhat from silence, but think about when Cain and Abel offer their sacrifices. They both offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, yet one was seen as acceptable and the other was not. One was done in faith, one was not. And yet God looks upon Abel's offering as acceptable he rejects Cain's offering and in it it assumes that there was a direction that God had given that they were to worship in a particular way when Moses was on Mount Sinai meeting with God Aaron and the people the people rise up and they say we want to worship God create an in, an image that we might worship they were not trying to fall, to uh, worship a false god please don't ever kind of follow down that trap They were trying to worship the one true God, but what were they doing? They were trying to create a God that they could see, that they could understand, that they could worship in a tangible way. And yet it led them into great error, into great discipline from God. Nadab and Abihu creating strange fire before God. There's many other, we're we're on abbreviated time tonight, but even in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing many issues about the corporate gathering, how things are to be done, that it is to be regulated, not just up willy-nilly for our own decisions. Derek Thomas said this, without the regulative principle, we are at the mercy of worship leaders and bullying pastors who charge non-compliant worshipers with the displeasing God unless they participate according to a certain pattern and manner. We are. We live in a culture that is very much at the whim of whatever the popular culture in the the evangelical church is. Well, here's the cool way to worship God. Here's the way that pleases God. And yet, so often it is the things that we've invented thinking, oh God, here. Here's how we'll worship you. And yet God has given us in his word enough to know how he is to be worshiped. Yes, we can often look and we can complain about, well, I'm not allowed to do this, I can't do this. And to realize that God, throughout all of Scripture, has been very specific on how he was to be worshipped. And God has not changed. At the root of this lies the question of, is Scripture sufficient enough for us to know how to worship God? The Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church of Colossae, In Colossians 2.23, he says this, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. And notice, in self-imposed religion. The religion that we think we can create. Then he goes on, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. This way that we think we can create a religion that would please God, and yet God has said, No. 
For Scripture is what we must bind our conscience as God has given us His revealed will. Again, this, um, this is limited to our corporate gathering. There may be things that happen outside the corporate gathering that are different. But God has, has regulated our corporate gathering in a specific way. Not to restrict us, but to see the beauty of how he has created himself to be worshipped. And to find the goodness in that. And to find the safety in that. In knowing that when we do things according to his word, he's pleased. When we start doing our, all of our own inventions, it's like a child coming to us and saying, Daddy, I made you this, and yet the child was disobeying all the time, making that. Stealing tools, cutting up pieces of wood, doing this. They may have made something nice, but it was not according to what was commanded. Is it pleasing? No. And a lot of times we can come in a corporate gathering and think, wow, the the corporate worship of God is, is amazing as we've created it. But we need to think about how does God see it? What does God long for us to be doing and participating in as a corporate body? To see the beauty of it. That it is limited, as the confession says, by his own revealed will. It's not... Uh, he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men. No matter how good we think it might be, how does God see it? And we know how he sees it when he gives us that instruction in his word. We want to be guided by scripture in all areas. And while this may be a controversial, we must always continue to conform ourselves to the word of God. For there is the place of blessing. There is the place where God is honored. And so where we try, we try to continue to reform ourselves to it. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we looked at this, Lord, there's so many uh, implications we could look at. But Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us to taste and see that you are good. That the ways that you have revealed in your word are good. And you delight in those. You do delight in the praises of your people. You do delight in the, the, the church gathering. And hearing your word and preaching your word. And remembering Christ's death and crucifixion. Lord, I, I pray that you would... Keep us from the devices of our own thinking and our own imaginations. Lord, protect us from creating a, a false worship because it feels good to us. But also, Lord, allow us to find the joy of worshiping you and how you have prescribed. For you are the great and awesome God. You are the God who is worthy to be praised. Help us. Help us that you would be honored, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I confess there's...